From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello and welcome to Washington Watch. I'm not Tony Perkins. This is Eben Fowler with Bot Radio Network. It's been a while since I've had the privilege of filling in for Tony, but that's what I'm doing today. Uh, this is the first time uh, I've been around for a little while, but it's the first time I've been on video, so I apologize to those of you who have to look at me. My mother said when I was born that I had a face for radio, so that's why I'm in radio, not television. But anyway, we'll have a little bit of fun today. Uh, so we've got a, a full program, as usual, lots of great information for you today. And coming up on this program... We'll do whatever it takes to restore order and quiet uh, and on the security of our people. Well, that was Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on CBS's Face the Nation yesterday defending Israel's response to the unrelenting rocket barrages from the Hamas terrorist organization. How much longer might this go on? We'll talk about the situation in the Middle East with Florida Congressman Michael Waltz, our first guest. He's on the House Armed Services Committee. Also, businesses and state and local officials are scrambling to figure out how to apply the new guidelines that were announced late last week by the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control. According to the announcement, masks will not be needed in most situations for those who have been vaccinated. And uh, for those who have not yet been vaccinated, the president had this to say. The rule is very simple. Get vaccinated or wear a mask until you do. It's vaccinated. Well, okay, that's what he says. Uh, Dr. Uh, Marty Macri, professor with Johns Hopkins School of Medicine and Bloomberg School of Public Health, will be here to talk with us about that. But I have just a quick flash here. Dr. Anthony Fauci has some new guidance here. He now says that putting a fan on your head to blow the virus away is better than a mask. I've got a picture here. Uh, to prove that, since we do have video, I just wanted you to see that. So um, you may not be a Fauci fan, but what you can see is a Fauci fan. Anyway, uh, we'll talk with uh, the doctor here in just a few minutes as well. And speaking of injections, efforts to inject harmful ideologies into Virginia's largest school systems are getting some pushback. Fortunately, FRC's own Meg Kilgannon is here with more on that. And in our last segment today, there's been an outcry from critics of legislation that prevents gender transition procedures from being performed on minors. They claim that the impulse behind this law, this is kind of ridiculous, and other laws like it, is to kill people who identify as transgender. We'll find out why that is ridiculous. We'll talk with Dr. Melanie Conway to set the record straight. A few reminders here, a little, a little bit of practical stuff to get out of the way. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Many of you are watching and listening to this broadcast on TonyPerkins.com right now. And you can also go back and look at previous programs and look at the archives at TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Gab, it's at Tony underscore Perkins. Uh, with social media, of course, you never know who's going to be censored or deplatformed, so stay in touch with us. Text the word STAND to 67742. That way we can stay in touch and in contact with you, send you updates and alerts on the news, events, and resources, and all kinds of great stuff like that. Then finally, I want to encourage you to download the Stand Firm app. It's in the App Store and on Google Play. You can listen to Washington Watch on the Stand Firm app and also get the latest from the FRC. 
team. Visit uh, the FRC team, rather. Visit frc.org slash app for that. Well, let's get into our first segment here. The conflict between Israel and Hamas has entered its second week, with Hamas continuing to launch rockets at Israel and Israel launching dozens of airstrikes in Gaza in response. Since Monday, more than 3,200, and that's, of course, last Monday, more than 3,200 rockets have been fired from Gaza by Hamas and Islamic Jihad, both groups designated as terror organizations by the United States. In addition, the terror groups have launched unmanned attack drones and anti-tank missiles. With me to talk about some of the latest developments in Israel is Congressman Michael Waltz. He represents the 6th District in Florida, and he also serves on the House Armed Services Committee. Welcome to Washington Watch. Hey, good to be with you. Good to be with you, Tony. Well, this is uh, this is Eben Fowler filling in for Tony. But, Michael, I wanted to play a quick clip uh, of our good friend uh, AOC, uh, Sandy Cortez, talking about this last week, just to kind of set this up. And I want to get your comments on that. And then we have a, a few questions I'd like to run through. So if you would roll that uh, clip, Brian, I'd appreciate it. And when I saw those airstrikes that are supported with U.S. funds, I could not help but wonder if our communities were practice for this. This is our business because we are playing a role in it. And the United States must acknowledge its role in the injustice and human rights violations of Palestinians. Michael Waltz, what do you think about that comment? Well, it's just a mix of ignorant and disgusting, frankly. She also has said that uh, the Israeli government is like the apartheid government of South Africa. Uh, let's, Let's break this down for a moment. Israel is a democracy. Israel is our ally. It is, uh, it has uh, Arab Israelis in its parliament, the Knesset. It also has uh, a, a long record of uh, standing with the United States and vice versa. By contrast, Hamas is a terrorist organization, as you mentioned, uh, that is not only firing thousands of rockets into cities, intending to cause casualties, but they're doing so from behind, standing behind their own civilians, deliberately launching these rockets from schools, hospitals, uh, uh, mosques, and uh, I think what is going to show to be true from inside a building they knew were housing journalists, hoping to get an Israeli uh, counterattack that they could use for propaganda means. So let me ask you about that. Those two is just sad and disgusting. Yeah, let me ask you about what you just mentioned, and, and that is the building. I think you're referring to the building where the Associated Press uh, had its, uh, not maybe its headquarters in Gaza, and uh, even AP is, well, not a surprise, but they're putting out false information and indicating that they didn't know Hamas was in the building, didn't talk about the fact that they were warned beforehand before the bombing began. Uh, talk about that a little bit, perhaps in the context of uh, the reliability of the, the news media in general on this story. 
Well, j just a few things. One, you know, I've been to Israel. I've been uh, right there to the border with Gaza. Every Israeli family uh, has some type of bunker in their home, the bus stops, the schools, every public space. And some of these families literally have anywhere from 10 to 15 seconds to get their entire family into the bunker once the alarm sounds. That's the type of threat they live under every day. Conversely, Hamas has a long history of deliberately putting their weapons, their caches, and launching uh, their attacks from facilities that are known to house children, women, and civilians, because what they care about the most is the propaganda victories. If the Israelis hit back and cause civilian casualties, they use those, uh, they use that for their propaganda. And if the Israelis show restraint, then Hamas is able to continue their attack. Uh, they've done this from uh, alongside journalists as well. And what the Israelis have done is given warnings uh, to, so that civilians have a chance to clear out the area uh, before they launch one of their strikes. Uh, and even with that, we saw, we saw this incident happen. So I think there's a lot more to learn about exactly what happened there. What do you think about the Biden administration's response to what's going on over there? And do you think perhaps that that's why this is this is taking place now versus the previous administration's handling of our relationship with Israel and with the Middle East? Well, I'd like to see a much stronger response in support of Israel. I am somewhat pleased that they haven't come out and, and demanded uh, the Israelis stop. Uh, defending themselves, like many in the Democratic Party are asking the administration and demanding the administration do, the progressives, Bernie Sanders, the squad, AOC, and others. Uh, so I think it's been mixed, but at the end of the day, the, the bigger issue is the world and our adversaries smell weakness in the White House. Uh, and whether that is attacking a major infrastructure like our pipeline, the solar winds hat, uh, or this, uh, they know that at best they're going to get a tepid response from the United States so they can get away with it. Uh, the other issue is that the progressives tend to reflexively respond by throwing cash at the problem. Uh, and so we're seeing the, the Biden administration uh, provide hundreds of millions of dollars to the Palestinian Authority in the middle of these attacks. And we're also seeing them on the on the verge of lifting sanctions on Iran which means billions will flow into Tehran and right out the door to groups like Hezbollah, Hamas, and other terrorist organizations. Uh, so from that perspective, it is hugely destabilizing for the Middle East and the world. Well, last week you issued a statement specifically regarding President Biden's leadership. Tell us about that. What did you say? <laughs> well, I think we're seeing uh, uh, Biden's Jimmy Carter moment. Uh, whether you name the crisis, whether it's a crisis on the border of his own making, a crisis in the Middle East, and I just described how they're making it far worse by throwing money at it, uh, the labor crisis by throwing money into unemployment where small businesses can't afford uh, to hire people off of unemployment rolls, uh, the inflation crisis, again, because they're shoving trillions uh, into the system, and gas lines because we haven't established deterrence when it comes to Russia and, and cyber attacks, this smacks of the 1970s to me, and, and we're seeing another Jimmy Carter.
Yeah. Yeah. Welcome back, Carter, is I think the three words that I heard somebody describe the Biden administration as resembling. Uh, You had mentioned the pipeline hack. Uh, What's the latest information on that? There were a variety of stories and and versions of that, that it was a hack, that it wasn't a hack, that it was Russia. What do you know about that at this point? Well, I just just a little bit of context. Many of these and I'm putting air quotes around it, criminal groups, these hacker groups that are based in Russia, also Moonlight, their intelligence officers uh, within the Russian military that Moonlight doing this hacking. It's a very, very fine line when they go back and forth. The bottom line is the Kremlin and Putin could shut these groups down if they wanted to. Uh, Often they uh, are witting in what they're doing. Often, even if they don't know about it, they certainly don't mind. Uh, critical pieces of American infrastructure being hacked and attacked. We Bottom line is we need to view this as an attack, whether it was a bombing attack or a cyber attack. If it shuts down energy supplies to the American people, uh, what I would like to see us do is demonstrate to the Russians that we have the political will and the capability to do the same thing back. That's how deterrence works. Only when the bad guys know there's going to be costs uh, do they knock off their behavior. But right now, I mean, there's no downside. Uh, in fact, I think it's going to come out that the ransom was paid. Biden refuses to comment on that. Uh, so there's only upside to continuing these attacks. That's right. So uh, what would what are you recommending to the administration? What's Congress doing? We've got about 30 seconds or so left uh, to prevent this kind of thing from happening again. Well, again, the, the, the administration needs to establish deterrence. They need to establish costs. And we need to have a much more forceful response uh, uh, to the Russians who are mainly behind this right now. Congressman, thanks so much. Congressman Michael Waltz. Coming up, President Biden says you either have to get vaccinated or wear a mask until you do. Is there science behind that? We'll be talking with a doctor who can help us sort through that right here on Washington Watch. Stick with us. What is Roe v. Wade and what did it do? The Supreme Court's 1973 decision ruled that abortion is protected under the U.S. Constitution, striking down many state abortion restrictions and severely limiting the extent to which states could write their own abortion laws. The Supreme Court's limitations on states to legislate abortion restrictions depends on the trimester of a pregnancy. For instance, Roe disallows states from restricting abortions in the first trimester, but allows some restrictions on abortions in the third trimester. What Roe doesn't do is require states to have any restrictions. Abortion through all nine months of pregnancy is the default, unless Congress or the individual states pass laws restricting it. That leaves a lot of room for unrestricted abortions. For a full explanation of how Roe v. Wade liberalized abortion laws, go to frc.org explainer. That's frc.org explainer. After the recent wave of media censorship, are you struggling to find a conservative, relevant, and Christian platform where you can find out what's really going on? Here at Family Research Council, we believe that Americans have a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world. If you're ready to hear the facts that the left doesn't want you to know about, then head over to frcblog.com to check out our latest blog posts. We cover a wide range of issues you and your family care about, all written by our policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview experts. We discuss topics that other media platforms won't, like changes in pro-life policy, current events that affect Christians internationally, 
sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the bigger picture of the shift in American culture. To stay up to date on current news related to faith, family, and freedom, visit frcblog.com. That's frcblog.com. Would you like to spend more time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible with their Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. This reading plan takes you through the Bible as events happen in history. Laying out the scripture every day in an engaging manner, it is key to helping us stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start reading today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Evan Fowler with Bot Radio Network sitting in for Tony Perkins today. Thankful to be able to do that for him. Well, last week, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, announced its updated mask guidance, stating that fully vaccinated people can be indoors and outdoors without wearing masks, except when in healthcare settings, on public transportation, or in specified areas where masks are required. That unexpected announcement sent businesses and state and local officials scrambling to figure out how to apply the new guidelines. With me now to talk about the announcement and the science behind it is Dr. Marty Macquarie, professor at the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine and the Bloomberg School of Public Health. He's the editor of MedPage and author of The Price We Pay, which takes a look back at the COVID-19 pandemic. Dr. Macquarie, I'm so glad to have you on Washington Watch. Good to be with you, Evan. Well, first of all, tell us about the book. I'm curious. What's it about? And uh, is it out yet? I'm really excited about this new paperback book called The Price We Pay. Um, It came out last year, won the Business Book of the Year Award, and the new paperback version has an update, and it has a new section on COVID looking back. You know, we could have done a lot lot of things better, and I think there are lessons that we should learn as a country. And also, you know, the biggest lesson is probably humility. We did not show humility with this virus, and our leadership did not show humility with learning about this virus. And there's probably lessons there that apply to everybody. And what do you mean by humility? Well, for example, we got a lot of things wrong as doctors. Okay, first of all, when we told people to stay at home, we should have told them to get outside. When we told people to wash your hands like crazy, we should have told them to wear masks. And then once things subsided, once we went below seasonal flu levels in terms of case fatality population rates and daily cases, we should have opened things back up, right? So we made a lot of mistakes. And to be honest with you, there was some national pride when we were watching the pandemic blossom in it, in Italy. We kind of said, you know what? America will be stronger, and that won't happen here. Turns out that the virus didn't really care about borders or politics, and we did get hit hard. 
Well, let's talk about this announcement, this uh, somewhat surprising announcement from the Centers for Disease Control about the change in mask policy. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it was the right decision because many of us have been begging the CDC to live up to the the, the thresholds that we preset for getting back to normal, which was less than 10 cases per 100,000. So once we went below that number, a lot of us were saying, hey, wait a minute, folks, why are we still living in fear? And the vaccines work, and it's sending a double message. So they did the right thing. They did it about three months late. You know, we should have had this a long time ago. We knew that once you were fully vaccinated, you know, you, you were good to go. But unfortunately, there was a big delay. And people took it as a mixed message. And then when the CDC made the announcement, they just shocked everybody. Like, there was no preparation. There was no criteria. It was like, all of a sudden, you know, go ahead and scramble. And businesses and everyone are trying to figure out what to do with this. There was no good preparation, no planning. Well, you know, it seems like uh, it, what you say is that, that this happened very quickly. And, and here in my part of the country, the Midwest, we've already begun to see some changes based on that. People really, quite frankly, are, are getting sick and tired of wearing masks. And so this is a great opportunity, you know, for for people for a little more freedom, shall we say. And I was uh, I was kind of joking earlier in, in the introduction of the program, uh, Dr. Macri, about Dr. Fauci. And uh, I sort of put up a parody piece here that says Fauci now says putting a fan on your head to blow the virus away is better than a mask. Now that, you know, that may seem silly, but uh, Dr. Fauci has from the very beginning, uh, and this seems to be the general uh, consensus, I want to get your your uh, input on this, but that he has, uh, the story has changed a lot. Now I understand that we, we have learned a lot along the way, but many of the directives coming from him and from CDC have been very confusing. What are your thoughts on that? Well, we've had failed medical leadership from the start. Uh, why was it myself and Scott Gottlieb and a few others running around the country like crazy last February before the pandemic hit, trying to convince people to take it seriously? And Dr. Fauci was giving people assurances. And then once it hit, it was just like sort of the mask announcement last Friday, like all of a sudden, hey, you know, figure this out. This is, you know, just announced. Um, we didn't have good leadership. We should have known that it was airborne. We got bad guidance on masks. This SARS-CoV-2, which is COVID-19, spreads exactly like SARS-CoV-1, which is SARS. Dr. Fauci was around for that. You can make mistakes, you know, I believe in forgiveness, but it's mistake after mistake after mistake, and I don't know who to be more frustrated at, Dr. Fauci, or meet the press, and all these Sunday morning shows that put them on 12, 14 hours a day, he's one doctor, okay? That's one opinion. We put our whole faith and stock in one man, and guess what? We just got bad medical advice. Yeah, I actually bought a pair of Dr. Fauci socks, uh, but I've since thrown them away. Um, I'm using them for a dust rag now. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I, I did buy a pair of them just because they were kind of interesting. But it's kind of fun to have Dr. Fauci uh, on your feet. Uh, well, let me ask you what your response is to uh, Biden's statement about saying, you know, either you get a vaccine, vac vaccine. If, you, if you're vaccinated, you can take the mask off. If you're not, you can't. What are your thoughts about that? Well, I think we've known for a long time that in indoor public settings where a lot of people are congregating and the ventilation is poor, 
sometimes that's at home. That's where vulnerable people get the infection. And some people are still getting the infection right now, about 29,000 a day, most asymptomatic. So we're well below the thresholds where it's a public health threat. We're not in a state of emergency. Just to give you a sense, uh, Evan, we had 29,000 new daily COVID cases yesterday, most asymptomatic. In the mildest flu season of the last eight years, which was 2015, 2016, guess how many daily flu cases we had in a day in the middle of that? I'm going to guess a lot more. There you go. Yeah, about 10 times more, 10 times more. And so, and the case fatality rate is now similar. It used to be that COVID was much more deadly than flu. Now it's about the same because COVID is in younger people. So we well, Dr. have Macri, a completely distorted we, perception of risk. Absolutely. Well, that's great, great to have that perspective. Dr. Macri, thanks so much. Appreciate that information. Coming up, one of the country's largest school districts may be looking to inject critical race theory into classrooms and has sent out a survey that leads parents into unknowingly justifying its eventual adoption what's going on well we'll take a look at that after the break don't go away you're listening to washington watch where do you get your news do you have confidence you're getting the full truth if you want to stay up to date on conservative news and are looking for christian resources to help you stay politically engaged then download family research Council's stand firm app With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent radio programs, social media posts, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Stay informed with a trusted source. Again, search Stand Firm to download the Stand Firm app. As the political and cultural landscape of our nation has shifted in a concerning direction, it is so important for Christians to be equipped with biblical answers for the difficult questions of our time. That is why Family Research Council created our Biblical Worldview series. With the political left changing definitions to favor their narrative and to push their agenda, at times it can be hard to decipher what is true. That is why we must hold to the truth of the Bible, which stands the test of time. It holds the truth that does not change. Become equipped to stand firm in the face of cultural and political storms with FRC's Biblical Worldview series. This series dives deep into what the Bible says about some of the most crucial issues of our day. You'll learn what the Bible teaches on abortion, same-sex marriage, the separation of church and state, religious freedom, and the age-old question, should Christians be involved in politics? To access this series, visit frc.org worldview. That's frc.org worldview. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Evan Fowler with Bot Radio Network sitting in today for Tony Perkins. A clandestine effort to inject critical race theory into one of the country's largest school districts is being called out by concerned parents. Yay, parents! And a national grassroots organization. In a detailed report, the group 
Parents Defending Education revealed how Fairfax County Public Schools signed a four-year notice of award on March 11th with an organization called NYC Leadership Academy, a consulting firm that peddles the divisive ideology of critical race theory. And by the way, they make a ton of money doing it. Parents Defending Education also drew attention to a survey sent out to Fairfax County parents on May 6th that was filled with leading questions that were clearly designed with one intention, to get more business for NYC Leadership Academy, the consultant, which was involved in creating the survey. Isn't that special? Well, with me now to talk about this troubling development is Meg Kilgannon. She's FRC's Senior Fellow for Education Studies. Meg, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you so much for having me, Evan. It's a pleasure and to be you, here. And there you are. I can see you, the, the uh, miracle of video. Well, I want to play a clip of one of, the, one of these wonderful, concerned parents. And I said, yay, parents, because it is great to see parents all over the country who are getting up there and talking to school boards and telling them what they think with regard to this issue, the critical race theory issue that we're going to talk about today, as well as a bunch of other stuff. So let's roll that clip, if you would, Brian. For me to read to you, this is inappropriate for our children. Okay? We are here because we care. We care about our children. Please get these dirty books out of our schools. So she's talking about the content of books, and uh, fortunately, we didn't have to hear her read the excerpt from the book that her kids are forced to read by the school district. Again, this kind of thing is happening all over the country, and it's great that parents are getting involved. If you are a parent, you need to know if your kids are going to public school, well, whatever school, you need to be involved, and you need to know what's going on and what they're being taught, what they're being asked to read, and if it's not right you need to get involved you know maybe uh run for school board knock these other people out anyway uh, i digress a bit so uh let me first ask you meg to talk about what critical race theory is and we know we keep hearing that we hear it referred to as crt but if you can kind of give us the elevator presentation of what critical race theory is well, Evan, it is one of those concepts that sounds better when you're uh, talking about it or reading about it in a book than it actually turns out to be when it's happening in a classroom. Um, it is a very divisive theory of understanding the world that requires us all to assume that racism is happening and how it is manifesting itself in a situation. We don't just ask ourselves if racism has occurred. We know we are supposed to know based on the theory that it has occurred, and we're supposed to react to that. So it's, it's just operating in a very negative paradigm. It's a, it's a, a, a dangerous and divisive worldview that isn't uh, appropriate for schools, and is certainly not appropriate for children to be learning under this, this theory. And the, the, the reason that you can lead in with the clip of the parent talking about the objectionable materials from the school board, uh, the, the pornographic content in books, is because of this idea of diversity, equity, and inclusion classroom libraries. Not only are they putting books that are very divisive regarding race in the libraries in the classroom, but they are also putting in books that have a lot of very suggestive sexual content under the umbrella of including LGBT students, and it is yeah. just not appropriate under, under any measure. 
All right. So what do you think is the motivation for for the critical race theory being introduced all over the place? Uh, You know, I don't know about you, but uh, my interactions with people of different races uh, who are different than me are largely wonderful. And in part, it's because, you know, I, I like people. And I think what we're seeing when you you listen to some of these people who are trying to introduce CRT into schools and who are out there rioting and saying that there's all this you know white privilege and racism that we have systemic racism racism in the country, apparently they're not getting out very much. I think they're all talking to one another because, quite frankly, you know, out in the community. And I've been around for a long, long time. I've seen a lot of progress. You know, the, we, we had some really serious problems in the background of our country. But we've worked on them in, in part because of the form of government, the, the, the fact that our, our country was based on Judeo-Christian values. We have worked very hard to make an amazing progress in that regard. And we're th- I think we're throwing it all away. What do you think? And what is the motivation for doing this? Well, I think that a lot of times most of the people at the school board level are motivated by good intentions and what they don't necessarily understand is that this this has um, a lot of, of a grift associated with it for example this learning academy that is selling this material to my school district is going to make hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars teaching and inculcating these divisive concepts into the teachers who will then go on and, and, and inculcate these divisive content, uh, content into to the students. It's because people have no longer valued the dignity of the human person. They don't start with the, with the premise that this is the greatest nation on earth, that we are endowed by our creator with rights, and therefore we all have human dignity, and that we are equal in God's eyes and, and everyone else's eyes. They're not starting from that premise. And so when you don't start from that premise, you're automatically at a disadvantage in dealing with things, and it can get ugly very That's right. That's right. Well, Meg, thanks so much. We, I had about five more questions I could have asked, but we're out of time in this segment. Thanks for coming on. Coming up, legislation that was designed to protect minors is being falsely labeled by critics as legislation that will kill transgender youth. What's the truth? We'll hear from a psychiatric expert. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day every day. Listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins to get honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world. Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday by tuning into Washington Watch on the American Family Radio Network, Bot Radio, the KTLW Radio Network, and independent Christian radio stations across the country. Or listen to the show when it works for you by visiting TonyPerkins.com. Since the Supreme Court decided Roe v. Wade in 1973, over 60 million people are now missing from our country due to legalized abortion. Public opinion, our knowledge of law, and scientific advancements demonstrate that Roe should by no means be considered settled law. Roe is an abomination in our country's history, and it's time for the horrendous practice of legalized abortion to end. To learn more about the legal, historical, and cultural reasons to overturn Roe v. Wade, go to frc.org Roe. The Equality Act sounds like good legislation and something that ought to have bipartisan support, but it doesn't. Why? Because the Equality Act, paradoxically, would spur inequality. It is Trojan horse legislation that would hinder equality and would massively overhaul our federal civil rights framework. The stated purpose of the bill is to prohibit discrimination on the basis of sex, gender identity, and sexual orientation. 
The real effect of this bill would not be to eliminate discrimination, but to erase the freedom to hold a different opinion. The Equality Act would mandate government-imposed inequality by requiring acceptance of a particular ideology about sexual ethics, while leaving no room for legitimate public debate. Simply put, the Equality Act mandates an anti-life, anti-family, and anti-faith agenda throughout federal law and would be a disaster for all Americans. To learn more about the inequality of the Equality Act, visit frc.org slash Equality Act. Since June of 2015, over 12,000 Christians have been killed in Nigeria. This violence has reached a point at which experts are warning of a progressive genocide specifically targeting Christians across Africa's largest and most economically powerful nation. Yet this violence often goes unreported in the media, and if reported, is seriously downplayed. To learn more about what is actually taking place in Nigeria, along with other countries where Christians face persecution, visit frc.org Nigeria. Did you know that Planned Parenthood is the biggest abortion supplier in the U.S.? According to Planned Parenthood's most recent annual report, it committed 354,871 abortions in fiscal year 2019, up by over 9,000 abortions since 2018. According to these numbers, Planned Parenthood aborted 972 babies every single day. To learn more about what Planned Parenthood is really doing, visit frc.org slash Planned Parenthood Facts. Welcome back to the last segment of Washington Watch for this Monday afternoon. So glad you're with us, both uh, listening and watching. I'm having a good time here. have this nice camera in front of me. Let me give you a couple of bits of information that should be helpful. Uh, If you're watching this, you may already know about TonyPerkins.com. You can go there and you can watch this program live. You can go back and pick up segments that you may have missed. And you can find topics and guests on all kinds of important information, and I would encourage you to do that. Also, I want to encourage you to download the Stand Firm app. It's in the App Store. It's on Google Play, all the great places where you can get stuff, and it's free. You can listen to the Washington Watch broadcast on the Stand Firm app and also get the latest from the FRC team. Just visit frc.org slash app as well for that, or again, go to the uh, the store, depending on the kind of phone that you have. Well, let's uh, let's get going on this final segment. Very important co- uh, uh, topic we have. Very important content here. So far, 110 companies have signed a statement put out by the Human Rights Campaign that opposes state legislation that they say singles out LGBTQ individuals for exclusion or differential treatment. They noted in particular that many specifically target transgender youth, stating that the laws affect access to medical care. We're going to find out what that medical care is all about here in a minute. While not stated by name, no doubt one of the pieces of legislation that they have an issue with is the SAFE Act, and that stands for Save Adolescents from Experimentation Act, the SAFE Act, which would prevent experimental gender transition procedures for minors. With me now to help set the record straight on the SAFE Act and on this topic and legislation, it's uh, is board-certified psychiatrist Dr. Melanie Conway, a former assistant professor of psychiatry, at East Tennessee University, and now president of Little Rock Psychiatry. Dr. Conway, welcome to Washington Watch. Glad to have you. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, I've got a whole bunch of questions. Fortunately, we have a 
pretty decent amount of time here to get into this. But uh, first of all, lay out what the SAFE Act is about, and then we're going to get into this topic in depth. Okay. The SAFE Act, you already said, it stands for Save Adolescents from Experimentation. And it, do, it does three things. Um, it protects minors from experimental, off-label, non-FDA-approved tra- gender transition procedures. It prohibits taxpayer or insurance mandates for funding those um, experimental procedures. And it grants minors who have permanently been disfigured and are sterilized the ability to, to sue later. And, and I'm a doctor, so I'm not really big on suing, but um, if the the concern is is there's a lot of bad things that can happen down the road from these uh, uh, from this experimentation like uh, cardiovascular disease osteoporosis infertility and increased cancer risk and um, those might not be being really um, emphasized when these procedures are signed up for did you happen to see any of the testimony of uh, Dr. and I'm just going to use what what uh, this individual calls himself, Dr. Rachel Levine or Levine, uh, who is the Assistant Secretary for Health and Human Services, when interviewed by uh, Dr. Paul? Did you happen to see any of that testimony? I saw segments of it. Yeah. He asked questions, uh, some very specific questions about whether Dr. Levine thought that uh, it uh, that it that made sense, essentially, to do all of these these things, puberty blockers, different kinds of drugs, all of this surgery. And uh, Dr. Paul, senator, got a runaround from Dr. Levine at least a couple of Big times. Runaround. Yeah. Big runaround. Um, what do you think about that? I think that uh, Dr. Levine did not want to answer the questions on what the long-term effects are, basically. Um, the, the data, the best long-term studies show that suicide rates don't go down after transitioning, they go up. And so uh, Dr. Levine didn't really have a lot of data to go on and more um, opinion. I think Dr. Levine uh, sort of uh, is a little bit biased on this topic, uh, you know, so. <laughs> I, I would guess. And I and I don't think really has uh, the best interests of anyone in mind other than perpetuating uh, a particular ideology. And I think it's extraordinarily dangerous. And I think we need to stand up and push back on this stuff. But it, you just mentioned something that's kind of one of the key questions that we wanted to talk about here, and that is uh, that last week a spokesman for the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, told the New York Times that part of the impulse behind the law, the SAFE Act that you just talked about, and other laws mm-hmm. like it, is to kill them. Believe it or not, they're saying is to kill people who identify as transgender. Um, so as a mental health professional who testified on behalf of this act, how do you respond to that accusation? I, I, you know, I think it's, it's bogus because you just touched on it, because suicide rates go up when kids go through this process. Talk about that, whether that's completely illogical or not. I, I guess what I would say is, uh, wow, um, because... What data is he looking at, and where did he get his medical degree? I guess um, the it's just well known. The, the best long-term studies show that suicide rates do not go down, but they go up 
long-term after transitioning. Um, this has a history. John Hopkins was the first U.S. gender treatment center, and they found after doing hormones and surgery for many years that the, the mental health, the suicide rates of the transitioners did not improve long-term, and they uh, shut down the clinic. Um, and one of the things is, well, they would do better if, if we didn't have such a condemning society. But in a in very progressive Sweden, a study, a, a very good study was done showing people after transitioning had a mortality rate 19 times the general population. That, that means after transitioning, hormones, surgeries, you were 19 times more likely to die down the road and that mortality was mainly by suicide. Um, even the Obama administration's Center for Medicare and Medicaid in 2016 recommended not funding reassignment surgeries because the best data indicated it didn't improve quality of life meaningfully. Um, the Karolinska in Institute, and forgive my Swedish because I'm sure I messed that up, but the Karolinska better than mine. <laughs> yeah. Um, in Sweden, it's Sweden's main gender st uh, treatment facility in Sweden. And it's the institute that happens to give out the Nobel Prize for Medicine even. They, as of May of this year, so May of 2021, they will no longer prescribe puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones uh, to minors because of the lack of data supporting it. Finland has had this policy in place since June of 2020 and the United Kingdom has suspended puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones for minors for the same reason, lack of uh, good data for it. The primary recommendations from these institutes are, are what is common sense for psychiatric disorders of this type. You treat the underlying issues with intensive therapy and support and right. in this case, you, you wait for these kids' brains to develop before they make decisions they can't undo that will affect the rest of their lives, which is what the Republican legislator, legislature was advocating with this SAFE Act. So instead well, me, of being behind just, the curve... Uh, yeah. Let me pop in there just, just for a minute, uh, because what, what sure. you just mentioned brings up something else, and, and this probably was not on, the, on your briefing list, but uh, back in... You may be familiar with this study. Back in 2018... Uh, there was a study published by Brown University public health researcher Lisa Lippman that looked into reasons why a group of teen girls from her small town in Rhode Island, all of whom were from the same friend group, had come out as transgender. Uh, her conclusion from that study, by the way, that the study came out, and then when Brown University started getting some criticism about it, it kind of got squashed, but it got out. Her conclusion was that the phenomenon was evidence of what she called peer contagion. Uh, so have you are you familiar with that study, first of all, and are you familiar with the concept of peer contagion? I am familiar with the study, and I've seen it firsthand in my practice. Um, Tell us about it. So um, I've been out of residency about 23 years, and I'd say the first 19 years, I um, had seen two transgender individuals. They were male to female, and they both had just horrible, horrible um, abuse histories. So about, I, I was working in an adolescent unit, and on the nine-bed unit, on starting about two or three years ago, on any given weekend, 
one or two of the girls will say they're transgender. <laughs> okay. Oops, sorry. Um, anyway, they, what, I've, what I've seen with these girls is what Lisa Littman showed was that, that they had friends or they were lonely, they were bullied, and they got on the Internet and, and Internet influencers had said, you know, the, the cure to your problem is probably because you're the wrong gender. And so yeah. that's what they would do. That, they, they were thinking that was if their, all their problems would go away. And they would see these people transition and they'd get all this support on the Internet Right, and that's what they wanted to do. So it, I just find it incredible that all of a sudden these cases come up where they weren't there even three or, uh, in Arkansas <laughs> four or five years ago. Yeah, so it's it's spreading all over the country, and and you mentioned the fact that uh, if you just you know, of course, it's gotten worse again because of peer contagion or social contagion, uh, as uh, Lisa Littman indicated in her study. It was now, albeit it was a small group, but now you're confirming that you have seen the same thing in your practice. Uh, I want to jump back to some of the treatments, the you know these hormone blockers and various things like that, and of course. Some of the the surgeries that personally, I think it's malpractice. Any doctor who does this is, uh, I think, has a, a committed malpractice. What do you think? Is that uh, too strong? Well, I think that if you look, we as physicians are supposed to be looking at the data and looking at best outcomes. For minors, there are multiple. the The predominance of studies say that. Set, if you do not transition, if you do not give the hormones, 70 to 90% of minors will, will mentally transition back to their gender at birth. 70 to 90%. And yeah, now that that's that that's now. Uh, what what do you think it would have been fifteen or twenty years ago? Because without all of this stuff going on and social media and on the internet and all these people who are out there trying to encourage kids to do these things. Right. I like I said in in my first nineteen, and I I was here Pennsylvania and Tennessee, um, and I only had two people. Two men, and that, and that's what the the even the DSM five now says the uh, preponderance of this is like point oh oh one four percent. Back in even just two thousand thirteen, when the DSM five came out, and now I just read something that said twenty seven percent of California's kids are identifying as uh, non binary. All right, let me ask you this. Uh, this is obviously, I think, for anybody who's got their head on straight, this is not good for kids. It, it will never be good for kids. Uh, any advice that you can give for, for helping parents, because I, I mean, I've talked to some parents who've had some of these issues and they're scared to death of with what's happening to their kids. How can parents help guide their children? I mean, they not, don't necessarily have to go to a psychiatrist or a psychologist, but they might. But how would you suggest that they deal with this if, if the, you know, Susie or Jimmy comes up to them and says, I want to be the other, you know, I'm be the opposite sex of what I am. What's your advice? Well, number one, I think you have to be careful, which if you would go the therapy route, I'd find out what the therapist's uh, attitude towards it was. 
You know, yes. you don't want to go in the wrong direction. Um, number two, I guess stand strong. There's a lot of, I've talked to parents, they're scared. They're scared to, I mean, I guess this is the first time I've seen uh, a lot of parents get scared about uh, their kids' opiate abuse or their kids' depression or their kids, you know, different problems their kids have. But what's different about this is society is now supporting the wrong way and they feel alone and they and they feel kind of helpless. And the first thing is to is to know that they're kids and they're being influenced by the wrong things and and to know that and stand strong within yourself with that okay that i think that's the hardest thing and then number wanna, two yeah go, go ahead. ahead i was going to say there, um, there's a there's a book uh by uh, abigail schreier it's called irreversible damage the transgender craze seducing our daughters which is of course talking about young ladies young ladies uh and and this might this might be an encouragement the, apparently and i just read an article today about this there is a and we just have about a minute left here there's a reddit group numbering more than 13,000 of and the term is d transitioners and I would guess what this is. This is a group of kids who have maybe headed down that path, but then they figured out that this is not a good thing. So, uh, you know, I think that uh, that we need to get the truth out. We need to get information out there. But go ahead, give us the last word here in about the last 30 seconds. <laughs> I would just say that we're being told that suicide rate, that we're killing kids if we don't let them transition and the data the good data say the opposite this people are scared and unfortunately even medical experts in the u.s are scared to say something because they're being afraid dr conway of we phone. are we are out of time thank you very much i appreciate it this is evan fowler sitting in for tony perkins Washington watch with tony perkins is brought to you by family research council and is entirely listener supported Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 